Hi everyone welcome to another episode of my podcast we have very special guest today joining all the way from Philadelphia we got Wax Mechanics joining the podcast hi Wax hey Jonathan thanks for having me yeah nice to have you and it's it's funny how we like got together S- suddenly you you came into my inbox and it's really really great <laughs> internet's a great thing and uh i've been been able to make friends all around the world with these uh, most recent albums and it's a lot easier now than it was uh, 40 years ago when i was in nitro that's for sure so i'm happy to uh, to be here and to be in front of all of your viewers and listeners right so so wax uh, tell me a little bit where 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 are you right now and how is the situation now is things back to normal where you are Well, I'm in a suburb of Philadelphia, so I'm not in the city proper. So uh, I, I live in in a, in a, in a nice uh, suburban community, and here in the United States, specifically in the eastern part of the U.S., uh, things are are not really back to normal. It's better here than it is in some places, but not as good as in other places. Uh, countries like New Zealand really have a good handle on this pandemic problem because they've done all kinds of mitigation and quarantining and isolating. Uh, they've got a smaller population than uh, my country and yours, but uh, here in the U.S., we're somewhat getting back to normal. Uh, vaccines are readily available here in the U.S., so those of us that want to be vaccinated in the U.S. Uh, are able to get them. And uh, my family, my friends, my musician pals—we're all vaccinated, and we're starting to get into that uh, booster shot uh, area. So. Those people that want it can have it. Uh, we're still doing lots of masking in public places. Um, I haven't been to any uh, gigs yet. Haven't done any live performances properly uh, simply because of the pandemic. I would imagine sometime in 2022 uh, things will sort of get back to normal here. So how are things in your in your uh, area? Yeah. So we've been we've been in a lockdown from March 2020 until until now. But now. um i think things are quite relaxed and uh, restrictions are sort of going away but we are st- we still you need to use mask and yeah. um i think the vaccine rates are not that high here i think only like 22% of the population is vaccinated in the philippines right now uh but i think uh, people are still living through it i mean people are just making whatever best they can from the situation so we have a saying in america that really applies it's called we make lemonade out of lemons so if we're given the lemons we make <laughs> the best lemonade we can and right. that's really happened here a, a lot of it is uh, the way people perceive it so i'm a firm believer in we're the masters of our own destiny so we can uh, uh, make the best of a situation if we really want to uh, we have to have the help of others because this is a global situation and uh we have to be careful not only for ourselves and mindful for ourselves and our family but also for our neighbors so as much as i'm concerned with my immediate family i'm concerned with people in the philippines as well because uh we can't get back to normal whatever that is until everyone gets back to normal correct correct it's 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 i mean just one country cannot do just they cannot just say okay we are done with covid right everybody else has to do the same right <laughs> that's true well you truly are uh, we all thought that you know this uh, information age would uh, bring us closer together globally but 
I think in addition to that, the pandemic has really made it really pronounced and apparent to me and to most people that think deeply about it, that we are all interconnected and we are all responsible, no matter if we agree with people or not, philosophically or theologically or uh, politically, we're interconnected uh, biologically and we should act accordingly. So as much as I'm concerned about my immediate family, I'm also genuinely concerned about you and your family and your neighbors as well, because we can't all get back to normal until we can't get back to normal locally unless we're back to normal globally. Right, right. So, so Wax, uh, when did you like last perform live? If you want to know the honest truth, it was about three weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> But let me qualify that. So um, I don't know if they have it in the Philippines that much. I think it's everywhere because I've traveled the world and it seems to be every place. It's uh, this activity called busking, you know, people going out on the streets and right. doing their performance live sort of without a net, without a, a built-in audience. And I, I do that uh, when I can uh, during the pandemic for all kinds of reasons. So that's the immediate answer is I was out busking outside the studio about three weeks ago, three or four weeks ago. And that was, uh, that's an invigorating experience, you know. Uh, you open up the guitar case, which is my weapon of choice, and you just start playing for passersby, and there's no built-in audience. So it's, uh, it's dangerous. It's kind of punk. It's uh, invigorating. And I've been a musician for more than 40 years, so it helps me to reconnect with that. And to honestly, I was testing out new songs and making sure I could actually do it. So I've done that a few times during the pandemic. I haven't played properly for my, it's got to be... Uh, more than two years, you know, with a band and with an audience and a club, um, that kind of thing. So right. are there live performances coming back in the Philippines? Uh, yes. Are they just, just like maybe two weeks ago, we started having uh, acoustic sets in clubs, not clubs, but like places like Hard Rock Cafe, they would, they, they started uh, some uh, live performances, but I couldn't really go yet because it's it's not really convenient because we had a curfew as well but now just just two days ago the curfew is lifted as well so i would probably go and watch some of these acts soon <laughs> well we have to do it slowly we have to do it carefully and we have to do it mindfully for all those reasons we just talked about not just for our own safety but for the safety of the others that are going to be there so um i'm i'm not masked up when i'm playing live because i when i'm busking because i keep a bit of a distance from Uh, those people that are passing by. Sometimes I'll have people that'll stop and want to listen a bit, and that's fun. And we all kind of know that we're supposed to be distanced. So it's this uh, uh, common mutual respect. They'll have masks on, but I won't because you can't really sing with a mask on. It's a little difficult. Uh, so we're kind of figuring it out as we go, making lemonades out of lemons. Right. So uh, when I saw you, your picture and when I'm seeing you now, I can't imagine that you were the same guy who played in a hard rock band like Nitros. <laughs> well, I, uh, I just passed my 59th birthday. So that, that gives the age away. So uh, we formed in 1980 and I was in my teens at that point. So uh, had much more hair at that point. Didn't have as much gray going on. Um, but yeah, it was, it was fun. Um, people evolve, things change. I have to be honest with you, that initial fire that was in me before I joined Nitro and as we were making those records and doing all that snarling, slamming, howling, crank to 11, heavy rock, 
that's still within me. And I think you can hear it on some of my latest records as well. Even though the outside has changed a little bit, the inside is still the same. I have to be honest with you. But yeah, okay. I've, uh, people change. You know, I'm about the same height, about the same weight, a little grayer, a little less on top. But, uh, <laughs> uh, and my eyes aren't as good as they used to be. But uh, so far, uh, it's been a fun experience. And I'm kind of learning this as I, as I go in terms of growing into it. Uh, but yeah, uh, I have to be honest with you, Chana, I'm the youngest one of the band in Nitro. So I'm the baby. So the other guys are... <laughs> right. <laughs> so so I'm, the more, I'm the more handsome one in the band. That's what I can right, tell right, For sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Wax, can you tell me a little bit about your childhood and what's your earliest memory of music? Wow. That's an easy one because this one is seared in my memory. And I've recounted this before. Uh, it was probably about 1966. Uh, so I was born in the early 60s, and it was about 1966. And I grew up in this uh, small town in central Pennsylvania, which is in the eastern part of the United States. Very small town, quintessential America. And uh, I was probably about four years old at the time. And my mother and I were walking through a department store. And I'm holding her hand. And I hear wafting in the distance this incredible melodic fun cacophony of music. And it was from the record department of the department store. And I got a little closer and I heard this joyous noise that made me want to skip along like a little child does. And it had a really fun sing-song chorus to it. And it went, we all live in a yellow submarine a yellow submarine. And that was the Beatles. That's my first memory of, that I can recall of music that really struck me. And all these years later, I remember holding my mother's hand, skipping along in the department store, singing almost immediately the chorus to Yellow Submarine by the Beatles. So it had probably just been released. It was on the Beatles Revolver album, famous record, and Yellow Submarine's a worldwide hit. And everybody knows about it. It seemed to be custom made for a toddler of my age. And it was just this joyous experience. And it was my favorite song from that time until today. It's one of my favorite songs. And my mother uh, always was making fun of me whenever it would come on the radio. And she would say, do you remember when you heard that song at the department store and we're skipping and singing along with it? She goes, I kind of knew you would be some sort of a musician at that point. <laughs> That's my yeah. earliest memory. Wow. I mean... Beatles, what really fascinates me is like that song, for example, that that you can play that to a kid and it can be a, like a kid's song, right? It, it's that Absolutely. simple. It's that simple, but they have that variety of very simple, simple songs, but so many complex songs and even like a music critic can like, you know, like they can critique about it. It's so complex. There's so much mastery. Um, I mean, I could imagine, I mean, it's, it's, it's so fascinating, the whole music of Beatles, right? Well, I have to, have to admit that they are, because it's of my generation, I grew up with that stuff. So it's part of my musical DNA. Right. So just because of familiarity, it's special to me. But as I looked at it analytically, uh, and being a musician myself, I took them apart over the time, over time. I played them in many bands and many gigs over the years. Uh, it spans the spectrum of genres. They'll do something as heavy and as punk and as prototype metal 
as Helter Skelter off the White Album to something Baroque and classical like Eleanor Rigby and uh, everything in between. They did folk, they did pop. And if you're a musician and you learn that stuff, it's pretty complex in some places and it's very simple in others. And uh, I, I still hold them as some of the gold standard. And it's, they're arguably the best composers of the 20th century, I think. That's my own personal bent. People will beg to differ. But it resonated with me as a child. And I, was, I remember thinking, I had this moment as a little guy thinking about it. It's just amazing that they took all this effort and made, made all this effort to write a song for children, I thought. That was remarkable. I, I didn't know at the time what they were doing. I didn't know anything about the music business or how groups worked. I was just a little kid who loved the song. And I thought, that's just wonderful that they took the time to make a song for little kids like me. And then uh, I still appreciate it at this age. And I have to be honest with you, today I was listening to Abbey Road and was still getting the same thrill. So all those years later, they've stood the test of time and anybody can argue about the quality of it, whether they like it or not. But uh, I... I personally think it's some of the best music that's been made in the 20th century. And I'm, I'm really pleased that Paul McCartney is still alive and is still making records and uh, can be appreciated. Yeah, I, I actually saw your Facebook post that you said that, I mean, you're grateful that you're still alive while Paul McCartney is there, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, uh, well I, let me see if I can remember. I thank God that I'm alive while Paul McCartney walks the earth. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, so that's pretty dramatic, but that really sums up how I how I feel about it. I wanted to make I'm not a really a demonstrative guy, uh, but I, I want to make sure that when I'm passionate about something that needs to be appreciated, that I communicate it. And because it's my sort of vocation and my genre of choice, I want to make sure people know exactly where I stand. And I, I'll say the same thing about Brian Wilson, about Bob Dylan, about Paul Simon, about uh, Angus Young, you know, uh, th those kinds of people. Right. There, there is this, you, 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 there's a video in YouTube. This is uh, Ozzy Osbourne of Black Sabbath, right? Ozzy Osbourne meets Paul McCartney. And Ozzy Osbourne becomes like a fan, like what you call that fanboy. <laughs> like he's, he's yeah. so inspired that he's seeing uh, and he's, he's telling Paul that like Beatles were an inspiration for Black Sabbath. Like that's why they, they, they actually pursued music. It's really touching video, like. You won't expect like, you know, Prince of Darkness to like, you know, he's Prince of Darkness, right? Like, <laughs> would be just so so humble. <laughs> it, it's amazing. Uh, I think personally, I don't know him obviously, but I think personally, Ozzy is a very simple guy and isn't uh, taken with his stardom too much and isn't, uh, uh, you know, uh, overreacting to his fame, etc. But when you're in the company of somebody like Paul McCartney, I would imagine it's it's really hard not to be humbled and not to be a fanboy or a fangirl because of the way that he's influenced people that are musicians. And I, I do know that uh, Ozzy, I'm a big fan of a big fan of Ozzy Osbourne's early career, uh, solo career and with Black Sabbath. Hmm. And uh, I've read somewhere where he and Randy Rhodes were getting together, Randy being his initial guitarist uh, with when he went solo, uh, they were writing goodbye to romance. And there was a discussion that Randy, I think recounted that, uh, Ozzy wanted it to sound Beatle-esque and uh, that was pretty interesting you know you come out with the song Goodbye to Romance which is a bit of a ballad off the first album Blizzard of Oz and uh, at its core is uh, the emphasis of the Beatles so you really can't get away from it right <clears throat> that's a beautiful thing yeah so so Wax you you 
you were a child during all this uh, you know woodstock uh, hippie culture free love how 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 was that do you remember about those times well i do uh so i was born in 1962 so through the 60s i was just a child so i was going to to grade school a primary school uh and i do remember the culture uh we were a small town in uh where i lived so it wasn't that uh, apparent but we were close to a major university and uh i remember that into our small town would filter in hippies and those people that were dressed in colorful clothes and those people that had long hair and there were music festivals occasionally at the university and i do remember those kinds of things even though i was you know under 10 years old whenever the 60s finished uh i do remember that that culture was permeating everywhere it seemed to be a positive thing there were overtones of the vietnam war that were going on if you remember that you know we were in southeast asia at the time mm-hmm. and i do remember that we had uh, this duality to our society on one side was all this overbearing um uh pressure of the of the vietnam war that we were being inundated with in the news and i remember hearing that and i couldn't understand it because it was a child i couldn't understand it in great detail but i knew that it wasn't a good thing obviously and then we had these young people that were part of the hippie culture and uh, the 60s so that was very colorful it was positive uh, i remember the experience as being real liberating and i remember thinking well i really liked because i had uh, relatives that were in the military i was really uh uh somewhat torn between I didn't know if I wanted to be in the military or if I wanted to be a musician and be in the hippie culture. So I was being pulled in two different directions even at a young age and I think I was one of many American children that felt the pressures of those two cultures coming together. But all in all, uh it was a real positive experience uh the the hippie culture. I didn't really get to experience obviously any of the, you know, the downside of it like the drugs and the stuff of Altamont and all that. It was mostly peace, love and understanding that I was getting at that age. right right <clears throat> so so hearing beatles and you remembering that song when did you when did you figure out that you want to actually pursue music well formally it was probably at about 10 or 11 years old that uh, there was a guitar in my house and i remember and I'm, i remember picking it up and i remember playing it and trying to figure it out and nobody sort of owned it it just was there my dad was a bit of a uh uh of a collector of things so sometimes things would appear and then they would disappear and i remember the guitar appearing for a few years and i started to play with it and try to figure it out and nobody knew how to play it but i remember playing it a bit and i remember being infatuated by the beatles because and the rolling stones and all those mid to late 60s cultures jimi hendrix and all that stuff that was uh, coming across the radio and the television and i was trying to learn how to play the guitar and then the guitar disappeared because my dad sold it because it was a piece of uh, merchandise that he brought into his business and then it went out mm. so uh at that point uh i was a bit disappointed and i was playing around on the harmonica as well and then i was probably about 12 or 13 years old uh i wanted to get a drum set because i was infatuated this was the early 70s I was infatuated with hard rock at that point. The Who, Kiss, um uh Led Zeppelin and uh a friend of mine had a drum set and I said I wanted one and my parents said no I couldn't have one because it was noisy and it was expensive. So 
I saved up my money, got my odd jobs, and uh, I bought it myself. So probably at 13 or so, 13 or 14 years old, I bought my first drum set and taught myself how to play the drums. And then I kept on picking away at guitars at friends' houses that had them, and I eventually got one probably when I was about 16 years old and started to learn chords in earnest. But there was nobody in my family that was musical. I kind of picked it up on my own. I didn't really, it was just fun. You know, I was a bit creative uh, as a kid, always. I was writing poetry. I was writing short stories. I was painting. I was drawing. Uh, I was infatuated by phot photography and, and all kinds of art. So I was a creative kid and music was just one of those things. And uh, I pursued all those things kind of equally. And uh, music I kind of fell into because as a teenager, you know, a teenage boy in America in the 70s, you want to be in a rock band. <laughs> so that's what I did. Right, right. So, so, so tell me, how did you get into Nitro? <laughs> well, that was fun. Um, the short version of a very long story is at about 16 years old, I got a, uh, I got a job at a supermarket as a, you know, a regular laborer, a box boy stocking shelves and things like that at a supermarket. And one of the guys there that I made friends with, my friend Bob Homan, and Bob will probably be watching this at some point. So uh, Bob Homan is my friend there, and I'm 16, and he's probably about 25. So I was looking up to him as a big brother. And we got to talking and got to be friendly, and he learned that I was a drummer. And he told me about his friends that had a band, and they were looking for a drummer. And I said, well, we introduced me to these guys. And my friend Bob said, no, Tim, you're not ready. So eventually what I did was I convinced him over the years to introduce me to those friends. And those friends were John Hazel and Brad Gensimore, who are the guitarist and bassist of Nitro. And I eventually, in 1980, got an audition with them. And uh, among the 20 or so guys that auditioned, somehow I was able to convince them that I could play louder harder and faster than any of the other guys. <laughs> That's how I got into Nitro. So in the summer of 1980, I auditioned for Nitro and it was John Hazel, Brad Gensimore, and a couple of other guys that uh, eventually left the band. And um, I was drafted, given the drummer's seat and away we went. Right, right. <clears throat> so what are the memorable gigs of Nitro? I mean, you, you, you guys played well, we played for, uh, we were really active and played solidly from about 1980 till about 1985. So there was a good five years in there where we were playing three, four nights a week. And it was mostly playing local bars and parties and things like that. And probably at about uh, somewhere in 1981, we decided to, we were writing our own music at that point because we were fans of uh, British rock and American rock, you know, heavy stuff like Judas Priest and Led Zeppelin and Kiss and Aerosmith and Boston and the Black Sabbath and Rainbow and Deep Purple. That kind of stuff really fascinated us. So we were writing our own songs and it just kind of happened organically. And uh, one day we decided to go into the studio and make a demo tape. And when we made a demo tape of our original songs, uh, that was in, uh, boy, that was in the fall of 1981. So it's 40 years almost to this month that we went into the studio to record our first album. And then we started to gig around and eventually uh, started to build a following. Now, the answer to the question is, the most memorable that I have is probably about 1983. There was an American band that was on Atlantic Records called Kix, K-I-X, sort of a glam kind of band from the 80s. And they were from Maryland, which was close to Pennsylvania. And somehow we got uh, on the bill with them a few times 
in a few different places. And those were really memorable because we were playing all originals from our albums at that point. And this was 1983. And we did a few gigs with them. And those gigs really were memorable because the audience knew our stuff. And there were large audiences, a few thousand people. And uh, at the time, uh, everything sort of come together, came together really well. We were performing really well. We were performing all of our original stuff. And we were on the cusp of uh, getting a, a record deal with uh, Mausoleum Records in, uh, in Belgium. So we were feeling pretty good. And I remember one specific gig in, with Kicks. We were opening up for them in Altoona. And everything was happening just perfectly. The crowd knew our stuff. We were playing well. The sound system was good. We were having a good night. And for some reason, I'm sitting back there in the middle of this set saying, this is a really great gig. It's different than the hundreds of others that we've played, and I need to remember it. There's something special about it. I can't really explain all the details as well as I could. Those people that are musicians that have experienced that know exactly what I mean. It's called being in the zone. Those people that have never experienced it, no matter what I say, I couldn't really explain it adequately. So those musicians out there know what I'm talking about. When things seem to slow down and uh, you can sense everything in the room, uh, that kind of happens rarely. And I remember that happening in uh, September of 1983 when we were opening up for kicks in, I believe, Altoona, Pennsylvania. It was a beautiful thing. And I still remember it to this day. Right, right. So... Uh, so you had a good run, you said that until like eight, 1985 uh, with, with Nitro. So where is this wax mechanics comes in? At what point does this character appear? Well, uh, myself and John Hazel and Nitro, we were the primary writers in the band. So uh, those of us that are musicians, and I had kind of been writing songs and, and lyrics and poems and things like that from the time I I can remember writing. So it was a natural thing for me. So I continue to write whether I'm making records or music or not. There's always, they're like shark's teeth, you know, there's always one behind the other. So right. there's always something in the pipeline. And uh, that's great and that's fun. And I do that whether people were listening and watching or not. So uh, John Hazel and I were writing the songs for Nitro. And um, about 1985, we were, we had had our finished our run. And we continued to write, I continued to write, and continued to uh, perform a bit solo, sort of busking, and we played with some other bands, some other pickup bands. And uh, then we took a break. Uh, we had families and went on and remained friends. Uh, the band never formally broke up, and we're still together to this day. Mm. Uh, there's, there's no end to Nitro, so the, all the original members were still friends, and we haven't gotten together for a while because of the pandemic. But probably in about... Uh, 20, I'd say 2001 or 2002, I uh, started to play in earnest a bunch of songs that I was writing that all seemed to have the same uh, voice to them. They were different than Nitro. Um, and I found that I was really enjoying doing that and didn't look like we were going to be doing any more Nitro records anytime soon. So I decided that I was going to go uh, uh, perform live and started busking in the street like I've described. And people were asking me who I was, and I decided that I wasn't going to go by my name uh, that was uh, I was using in Nitro because I wanted to sort of get outside myself and write from a different perspective. So like Freddie Mercury of Queen or Elton John or Ringo Starr or Eminem or Jay-Z <laughs> or Lil Wayne, I created Wax Mechanics. 
And that helped to free me up to be able to look at my music from a different perspective. So I see it as this in the same way as doing that, the way Bob Dylan reinvented himself. Uh, I, I did it not to hide from anything. I did it to free myself up to give myself a different perspective. So probably in the early 2000s, I started to uh, write in earnest from that perspective and it was liberating. I had written all kinds of songs for years and years and years before. And this particular perspective sort of gave me a new, uh, a new creative outlet. And I was writing from a different place. It was liberating. So I w stuck with it and uh, started to do it in earnest and was playing with Nitro a little bit now and again. We recorded and re-released some stuff and we're still friends. And uh, so I was doing them in tandem. So to differentiate myself from Nitro, I decided that I was going to uh, uh, really make a bit of an effort to perform as Wax Mechanics and write as Wax Mechanics. So that's what I was doing. And uh, probably about 2019, uh, Electric Talent Records got wind of some of my stuff and said, do you want to do some records? And I said, sure. And that's where we're at today. Right, right. Uh, Wax, I, I saw this video you put out uh, a short clip called Nitro History, something like that. You had some Nitro days, like old VHS kind of, you know, uh, videos and stuff like is, your, is Nitro music available somewhere that we can listen to? Absolutely, at Bandcamp. So it's uh, uh, Nitro USA at Bandcamp. Uh, I'll send you the link and uh, you can uh, then offer it up to your listeners. Yes, you can get it there. There's vinyl available. There are CDs available. There are cassettes available. There are downloads available. So yes, the wonder of the internet will enable us to do that. And I have some nitro vinyl even on my wall, as you can see right there. So it's right. available. So uh, we've got cassettes, uh, cassettes, CDs. So there have been a bunch of reissues of nitro material uh, since our initial run. So we had released a, a 10 inch vinyl EP in the early eighties. That was a do it yourself thing that got us signed to a European label. And we released with uh, mausoleum records, lethal plus two. And uh, then we started working on uh, a follow-up to that, which was right there, Volatile Activity. And uh, those are the Nitro's, Nitro records on vinyl. And we've uh, done some other reissues as well through Skull Records, through uh, uh, Blood and Iron Records, and um, through uh, AOR Records as well. So lots of stuff. I'll send you the link and you can share it with your listeners and your viewers. And please drop by and pick some stuff up. It's a lot of fun. Right, right. So, so I I actually listened to your solo. Uh, I mean, Vax Mechanic songs. Uh, you have an album called Mobocracy, and uh, one of the songs that really I got connected with that really resonated with me is this song called All Freaks. Because ah yeah, <laughs> because as a metalhead, I feel that you know when I when I hang hang out with my metal you know sort of community friends. We all like, you know, we all like kind of like freaks. We like horror films. We like pop, you know, all this stuff that other people seem to like, you know, they don't really care about sometimes, but we all like into it. And so it really resonated with me that all freaks. Can you tell me a little bit about that song? Sure. Well, thanks a lot. That's thrilling and, and humbling for me that people connect with it, with my songs. And uh, I, I really appreciate that. So first of all, let me say thanks. Um, all Freaks is uh, 
the whole album Mobocracy was uh, my outlet for some of the aggressive nitro style heavy rock, but I wanted to update it. And uh, All Freaks was one of those songs that has this interesting uh, punk edge to it. So lyrically, it's just it's about what you've just stated, that we all feel somewhat like outsiders. You do. I do. Our friends do. And uh, especially those of us that like metal, uh, we feel a bit uh, unique in our categorization. And our friends are more like our family than they are uh, anything else. So uh, I feel... I felt a bit freakish, especially here in America, because of all the social and political things that were going on. So that was kind of what I was thinking about when I was writing the lyric was that we have this polarization politically and socially going on in the U.S. So I was making a commentary about that. We've got conservative and liberal points of view. And one group would point to the other and say, uh, you guys are really freaks and you're wrong and you're the enemy. Mm. So I wanted to put that in a bit of a poetic way. Uh, so lyrically, I wanted to get that across, which was to sort of say, here's what I'm getting here in America, and it's coming out this way in my music. And uh, the whole album, Mobocracy, is, is a bit of a statement on uh, this turmoil and thrashing around that America was going through from about 2015 and, to, and is still going through now. The music of All Freaks was really fun to do, because if you listen to some of those early Nitro records, it's really punkish, it's aggressive, it's... Uh, uh, fast and howling and snarling and strident. So that's a big part of my musical DNA. Even though I'm this guy at this age, still inside is that 19 year old fellow that wants to crank those songs that are on that album right there. I love that stuff. And All Freaks was my way of doing it. Additionally, even though I'm a big fan of metal like Motorhead, Ace of Spades, the DNA of Ace of Spades is in there. And if you listen to the beginning of that, I shout, I don't want to live forever. That's Lemmy from, from Ace of Spades. That's my, and Lemmy had just passed away when I was making that record. So that was my homage to him and me paying respect to, to Lemmy, who was a huge influence on me. And uh, so that's, it's got a little bit of that motorhead in it. It's got early nitro in it. And uh, I have to admit that I'm a big fan of all kinds of music. And specifically growing up in the 70s, I was a big fan of Elvis Costello. Now he's not metal, but I wanted to take some of that aggressive punk nature that he had. I was a fan of the MC5, the New York Dolls, and uh, the Ramones, and Elvis Costello. As much as I was a metalhead, I liked that kind of stuff too. Right. So I wanted to bring that punk ethos into it. And uh, I remember thinking when I was writing it, I wanted to do something that sort of felt like that punky, aggressive Elvis Costello, Ramones, Motorhead mix that had some nitro in it. And that's where I got the music from. I wanted it to be poppy as well because I'm a fan of pop music. And I told you about my uh, affection for the Beatles. They're a huge influence. So it's really a mix of all that. Even though at heart, my records are usually metal when they come out, they also have a pop edge to them. And I'm incorporating some of that punk stuff. So there's a big homage to uh, my influences in, in that record as well. So All Freaks is one of my favorites because of the reasons that you've described. It resonates with me personally because I feel a bit freakish when I'm with my friends that are metal, that are metalheads and musicians because we feel like we're isolated in, a, in our own little community. But um, I wanted to make sure that uh, I was in, uh, infusing it with all those other uh, elements that make me happy when I'm making music. Right. Um, I mean, not only in America, everywhere, everywhere, even here and everywhere else, the this polarization of 
about maybe about politics or social issues or whatever what seems to be the problem because what i feel is people are just trying to be right then other they just want to be right they they don't really try to listen and understand the point of view of the other other side it's always like no we are right our opinion is is the right opinion and is that the case what do you think that why is this so much polarization is happening and well i th- i think well, first of all i think that's just the way people are if we look throughout history polarization has always been there you've got people that are deep thinkers and people that are uh, emotional thinkers uh, and they react emotionally and i i'm i'm pretty well convinced and i think that history will look back on this and confirm that the way that we consume data now through the internet and social media simply amplifies those things and drives people more toward the fringes. And we're tribal in a way, whether it's economically, whether it's politically, whether it's socially, whether it's theologically, spiritually, we love to be in our tribes. We love to identify with our groups. And I think this is one of the reasons why we're seeing this polarization now I'm an optimist and I like to think that we're kind of in this adolescence of managing uh, social media and how we interact with each other. I think that we're not gonna be like this always, all the time, because I think cooler heads will prevail mm. because around, I've traveled the world for all kinds of, in, in all kinds of places for all kinds of reasons. And I find that people are basically the same everywhere. Wherever you are in the world, wherever I am in the world, we want the same things. We want happiness, we want prosperity, we want fairness, and we want kindness and understanding and uh, patience. And that's universal. And that's the thing that's kind of lacking here with social media amplifying all of these aggressive opinions. And we're pretty fierce about our opinions too. So I think we haven't changed as a species. I think that the tools that we have at our disposal have amplified those characteristics. And there's a weaponization that kind of takes place, I think. And we've all felt that the weaponization of data. And it's turned neighbor against neighbor in a way that uh, I'm, I'm hoping is not an infinite sort of time loop. But I think we'll get past it and it's gonna take some time and I'm hoping that comes sooner than later. So this polarization is everywhere. I've seen it in all different countries that I've visited and all different cultures. It's a shame, but what I try to do is to try to be understanding of somebody else. I'm not perfect, but and I make mistakes and I have my own personal views, but I don't want to impose them on other people. And I certainly don't want to be aggressive and mean whenever I'm trying to voice my opinion. It's just my own personal style. Um, in America, it's really pronounced because we're on this 24-7 uh, media cycle that uh, everyone wants to be right. So I think you've summed it up. People just want to be right and they want to defend their tribe and their position. That's human nature. And I think we have to be a little more kind to each other. And that's why I try to get across in my own personal life right <clears throat> so uh you actually did a split album split ep with with the band uh troll teeth right from from the same label the electric uh talent records right so uh, it's called blunt <laughs> yeah. i don't know what you mean by uh, you guys mean by blunt you know like you know <laughs> Well, there's a there's a purpose to it, and uh, the the word blunt has a dual meaning. Right. And the dual meaning, you know, you can take it as uh, uh, as an adjective, which is uh, somebody that is forthright 
and tells it like it is. And that's what we wanted the record to be like. We wanted it to be visceral. We wanted it to be plain spoken. We didn't want there to be any pussyfooting around or, or walking on eggshells. And both Troll Teeth and uh, the guys in Troll Teeth and, and I discussed this. And when we were picking a title, we decided that uh, of the candidates that we had, that Blunt really summed it up. You can also use it as a noun, which is, uh, you know, a, uh, a large marijuana cigarette. Now, uh, <laughs> those days, those days of, 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 of smoking, smoking marijuana for me are gone, long gone. But those people that like to do that, it's legal in some parts of the world and it's not. Uh, my own personal uh, view is unimportant, but uh, Blunt also uh, lent us uh, this psychedelic uh, connotation that we were looking for as well. So uh, we thought that was fun. So there's a duality to it. So the word Blunt was meant to have a dual purpose. And uh, I think we've achieved that. Right. <clears throat> Tell me a little bit about the band Troll Teeth and how, how did the idea came to do an actual split with them? Well, Troll, first of all, Troll Teeth is a, they're a three-piece band and they do this interesting stoner, uh, fuzz, uh, doom kind of uh, 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 heavy rock, which I really love. And they were on Electric Talon. And when I was first signed to the, uh, to the label, uh, I learned of them. And I listened to their record, Goes Nowhere, Does Nothing. And it's a brilliant album. Mo and the guys, Thuds and Pretty Boy, those guys are amazingly talented uh, uh, musicians that do this unique uh, type of rock that I really, really like. So it's thoughtful. It's uh, really uh, precise and interesting. It's heavy. And uh all their fans, uh, it speaks for, for, for itself. So uh, me singing their praises really isn't anything they need, but I really like them. So when Electric Talon uh, came to me and said, okay, Mobocracy is doing pretty good. And what do you want to do next? And I said, uh, well, what's interesting to do? And uh, Stephen Burdick, who's the head of Electric Talon said, well, uh, if you like, you can do a split, you can do a solo album, you can do some singles, whatever you'd like to do. And I said, well, tell me about this split idea. And he did. And I said, can I do one with Troll Teeth? <laughs> because I really like that album. Uh, it goes nowhere, does nothing. And he said, sure. So I got together with them. They said, here are our songs. What are you going to bring to the table? And I brought my three tunes. And uh, I loved what they brought. And they, I think they uh, approved of what I did because it ended up on the record. And uh, then we hung out a little bit, got to know each other. Uh, in a more personal way, even though it was difficult during the pandemic because this came together during the pandemic. Uh, we did get together for some photos and such like that, but uh, uh, we didn't hang out like it shows uh, just yet because uh, we weren't playing any. Uh, in any case, uh, that's how we came together. It was really organic. There was nothing pressured, nothing forced. Uh, like those guys, really like their records. They're going to be making some more really soon, and I'm looking forward to those. Uh, they gave us a taste of... Uh, of what's to come with the two that they put on uh, Blunt. And I'm really proud to be on that record with them. And I think I got more out of it from them than they got out of it from me. So I was the benefactor or the beneficiary of that. Right. So you had a, you had, you had a song called Head, which, which, which I think it's your primary single on that, on that one. And you have a, yep. uh, you have a accompanying music video lyric music video as lyric video as well how is the response to that song uh wax well i was i was really pleased with 
with the, the final product. And so, but I didn't know how it was going to be received because Mobocracy was all guitars and drums and bass and howling metal record cranked up to 11. And I kind of switched it up a little bit and got a little bit more organic and tribal. And um, there were no uh, guitars cranked to 11 on that, but I wanted it to be heavy and thunderous. So I was looking for something a bit different. And I was a bit concerned that, uh, you know, uh, those people that were expecting Mobocracy 2.0 were going to be a bit disappointed. But uh, the, critically, the reviews I've been getting have been pretty good. Uh, the response, which is more important to me from the, from the audience, has been really supportive. Uh, I don't underestimate the uh, taste or the intelligence uh, or the uh, flexibility of my audience because they know about how uh, I like to change things up. And they've been really receptive to it. And it's happened from all over the world, not just America, but uh, all throughout Europe, Scandinavia, uh, South America, Mexico, um, Eastern Europe, just starting to get some, some uh, feedback from the Far East. I've been really pleased and I'm just thrilled and I feel really blessed that it's been received well. No one has really come to me and said, you know, that sucks. I was kind of expecting that from some of the really heavy duty metal folks, mm. but uh, I think they've kind of accepted that this is the kind of artist that I am and um, that they're just going to have to follow me and uh, we'll see what happens. So far, I've been really lucky that's been well received. Right. So, if if you have to explain to somebody who, uh, who wax mechanics is musically, how would you describe? Well, I'm a product of my influences. So I'm a solo artist, and uh, what I do is I'm primarily a songwriter. So that's always been constant. So my first job, my primary job. Uh, from Nitro up until now has been to be a songwriter. That's what I see myself as. Then uh, I'm a guitarist, I'm a drummer, I'm a producer. I play all kinds of other instruments. On Blunt, there's a song called Freak Boutique, which uh, there's some harmonica on that. And um, I uh, do all the vocals. Uh, uh, I do some of the vocals, uh, some of the backing vocals as well. I do all the lead vocals. So, uh, and then I'll go out and perform that stuff. I also, uh, other than music, I'm a painter and I'm a photographer and uh, I have another separate profession that keeps the bills paid and I'm an engineer. So uh, Wax Mechanics is, a, is an accumulation of all that stuff. So I bring all of those things to it. And my influences, we've talked about some of them. They range everything from uh, Robert Johnson, who is an old blues guy from the 1930s up to ACDC and Crowbot and Ghost and uh, Slipknot and uh, Otmar Liebert and classical music and just you name it, it goes into my, uh, into my memory bank and I draw from it. The Beatles are huge for me, the Beach Boys, Queen, Led Zeppelin, Judas Priest, Deep Purple, all that stuff from the 70s, American Rock, The Police uh, from the UK, you name it. Uh, I love it all. And uh, I don't really segregate myself into a metal category, even though I like guitars, bass and drums primarily. And because of my history with Nitro, I wear that proudly. But if you listen to some of my records, you'll solo records, you'll hear that there are things on there that my mission statement isn't just drums, bass, guitar turned up to 11 and strident, snarling and howling. There are some other textures that might uh, sound a little bit like Led Zeppelin. And there are some modern influences, some electronic and industrial stuff in there, too. That's a long answer, but you asked. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you mentioned Slipknot. You know, the reason I, I have to move our interview to an earlier 
time is because I'm actually going to watch the NotFest live stream later. That's great. <laughs> you can bump me anytime for that, my friend. <laughs> That's amazing. We have to be prioritized and absolutely, I appreciate that. And, uh, uh, that's a good reason to bump it. <clears throat> yes, because I was supposed to watch Slipknot in the Philippines last year, but you know, mm-hmm. um, I still have the ticket. Uh, I mean, the show is not officially cancelled. It's like just keep on postponing. Like I think it's now 2022. Uh, so, it. so I'm ex- actually excited to at least see them in li- through live stream, right? So. <laughs> These live gigs will come back. You have to be patient. And and you're doing, I have to applaud you because you're supporting them through these alternate means. And I am I know that you're a sophisticated guy and you support the the genre, but more so for, I guess, the rest of uh, the people that might be listening and watching is that we have to be creative. As, as creative as the artists are, as an audience, we have to be as equally creative to be able to support them. Uh, especially now, whenever, you know, record sales are, are not what they used to be. Uh, all that uh, sustenance that artists got from live performance, performances by selling merchandise and such was gone. So uh, we have to support these artists as best we can. And you're an example of that. This is perfect. So I applaud you. Well done. Right. Um, <clears throat> so you, you, you keep on pointing out that it's not Mobocracy 2.0, but is eventually there will be a Mobocracy 2.0. Uh, is there a new album coming out? <laughs> well, there sure is. Uh, uh, on the horizon, uh, it, well, first of all, Blunt was just released October 22nd. So uh, we've got, uh, we've, we're in the midst of this and we're enjoying it. But as you know, with artists, and as I stated earlier, songs are like shark's teeth for me. There's one behind the other. So uh, I have been working on my next project. Uh, there are two actually that I'm doing in parallel and I'm not sure which one's gonna come out first. So the next one, which I think will come out first is a- another split that I was asked to do with an American band called Almost Honest. Now they're not on uh, Electric Talon, but uh, I got to know them through Electric Talon and we're doing something really special and unique. And yes, there will be heavy guitars on it, and yes, it'll be sort of like Mobocracy, but it won't be exactly like Mobocracy. I'm not a fan of repeating myself, and my audience knows to expect some changes. And uh, I kind of follow the songs and the music more than I do lead it anywhere. So it's not this deliberate uh, uh, approach to be different. I just kind of follow the songs where they take me. So Mobocracy wanted to be heavy and cranked to 11 and howling and snarling. And uh, Blunt wanted to be something that was more thunderous and tribal and organic. And these new songs, they want to be something different. And I'm not going to tell you exactly what it is because I don't want to spoil the surprise, but it's going to be different. And yes, there will be heavy guitars on it. So that split's probably going to be coming out next. And that's probably in 2022. Uh, In parallel with that, I'm working on a solo album, which is about 70% done. And it's going to be different than those three things I've just talked about. And uh, this... I'm not exactly sure what shape it's going to take, but I don't think my audience that follows me will be disappointed or surprised that I've made another change. It's a change that's not dramatic, but it's something that's interesting to me. And I think that any audience that follows me will be interested in those things that I'm interested in. So if I like it, I'm assuming they're going to like it. And 
that's what I think they want me to do as an artist is to be true to my inspiration. So that's what I'm going to follow. That served me well for 40 years, Chana. So I'm going to continue to do it that way. <laughs> right. So, so Wax, what's your message to the viewers of this video and people who's going to listen to this podcast? Well, it's pretty simple. There are two parts to this. One is, first of all, I want to thank everybody that uh, takes their time to seek me out and to give me a listen. Uh, I know that there is a, uh, a literal torrent of music that goes out every day across the internet and that audiences have the choice to listen to all kinds of things. And I'm genuinely thrilled and humbled when people say that they've listened to my stuff and that never changes. Uh, so that appreciation that I have for those folks that listen to me is genuine and, and, and I want to make sure that they understand that. So thank you for taking the time to listen to me. Thank you for having me here because I know all of the artists that are interested in having your time. So I really appreciate what you do and how you do it. And especially that you've given me the time to be uh, here with you and your listeners. The final thing that I want to say is that these times that we're in, whether it's due to the pandemic or due to the polarization that we have in our lives with our neighbors, it's not going to last forever. So I would urge people to look around, to be kind to each other, to be patient with each other, and to show a bit of appreciation for each other. And uh, that's going to help us to get out of this a lot quicker and to make all of our, all of our lives a lot better. And one thing that I really do live by, the last thing that I'll say is this, that if there's somebody in your life that you love, tell them that you love them. Right. Yeah, I think, I think really this, uh, when I see all this pandemic, you know, people dying in ICUs and all that, I think, I think what you said is most important thing, right? You don't know what will what can happen to you like next split second you might not be here anymore so it's always better to say these things and hug people kiss people you know i always do that my my uh, you know i have a 12 year old son so i've been um through the years every day the, the 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 first thing i would do in the morning is just give him a kiss give him a hug because you know he's now he's 12 years old he's now probably don't want to do it anymore but I, I still tell him that I love him, right? Like you have to. Do I think it. every every child needs to hear that from their parents. Mm. I have a son who's uh, is 24 years old, independent, brilliant, self sufficient. He's a man on his own. I grab him at least once a week, if not once a day, when I can. Wrap my arms around him, hold him tight, and tell him that I love him because I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and I want him to know that he's still loved by his father. So I think any parent should do that. And I do that with my extended family as well. That's my own personal way of going about things. And that's my own style. So uh, I find it works well, but it's, there's no harm in telling those people that you love or more specifically, those people that you love, show them that you love them in some way that makes it meaningful for you and for them. Right. Wax, anybody you want to shout out to? Yes. First of all, I want to thank you because you're super cool for having me on here and I love what you do. This is not easy to do and we appreciate it. Artists on this side of the screen appreciate what you do. So I genuinely want to thank you for that. This is great. I love making friends all over the world 
And hopefully one day we'll be able to shake hands and I'll give you a hug and buy you a beer if you like, and we'll take in a show together. <laughs> uh, and I want to shout out to uh, my fans and tell them, thank you. We'll get it through this and uh, bear with me. 2022 is coming and hopefully we'll get some gigs and come out and see me. Um, I want to also thank Electric Talent for sticking with me. They've been really cool. And uh, Stephen Burdick has been great. So go out and patronize all of those people that you like. Support them now because now, now is when they need it. Right. <clears throat> so, Wex, um, I mean, I really enjoy talking to you, uh, this, this conversation, and listening to you, the appreciation you have for, like, all these different types of music i i i see uh i mean i see a connection because i'm a person like that although i'm a metalhead i i listen to so many different music i appreciate uh you know the culture i appreciate the artists and i i always try to support so i i really i felt a very deep connection when we were talking about beatles motorhead and you know slipknot and all that right uh, so I'm looking forward to your new songs and I'm definitely going to go and check out the Nitro songs uh, on Bandcamp. Uh, so lastly, tell everyone how they can listen to your songs and how they can buy your merch and things like that. Well, uh, I'm on all the socials, so you can find me on Facebook. You can find me on Bandcamp. Wax Mechanics, W-A-X-M-E-K-A-N-I-X. And uh, you've got those links that are available. I'm on Instagram, TikTok, uh, uh, let's see, Twitter. And uh, I also, uh, some of my other work is on Big Cartel. And uh, uh, some, of, some of my uh, work with Nitro is on Bandcamp as well. I will make all of those links available uh, to you. And uh, if you just Google me, you'll find me on any of those socials and all the links will be there. Right. So, Vax. Thanks for joining the podcast. Uh, have a great night ahead. Shana, thank you very much. Stay safe and well. Thank you.